0: turn to the book of Micah and we'll be in chapter number six tonight. Micah chapter number six. And in chapter number six, the Lord's going to come back to making his case on as to why he has to judge the nation of Israel. And the case that he makes against Israel is the same case that he would make against any nation, especially a nation that that uh, has the oracles of God and has the word of God available to them, and, and yet they reject the Lord and they reject his word. And that's what basically what Israel had done. So let's pick up in, in verse number, chapter six, verse number one. He says, Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O mountains. I guess the Lord's saying here, He's about to plead His case, and really nobody's listening, but but the mountains will listen because He made the mountains. His creation will listen. So He's going to plead the case, His case before the creation. He says, "Hear, old mountains, the Lord's complaint. This is the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a complaint against His people, the people of Israel, and He will contend." With Israel, and so he makes this case uh, before his uh, his creation because the Israelites are, are obviously aren't listening to this. They're they're nowhere to be found as Mike is speaking these words, and uh, he's been rejected, and the Lord's been rejected, and so the Lord is basically going to ask the question: How could you do what you're doing to me? How could you come to a point? where you totally disregard my law, you totally disregard my word, and you reject me. What did I do to deserve this kind of treatment? That's basically the Lord's heart at this point. Remember, I told you one of the reasons I like the Minor Prophets is because we often hear the heart of the Lord and and how He feels about things. Uh, and it's not all about us, it's about him. We, we hear a lot about how he feels and why he has to judge a nation. And listen to what he says in verse number three. He says, oh my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to you that you would do this to me? And how have I wearied you? I mean, testify against me. Tell me, tell me what I've done uh, that, that you've grown weary of me. Uh, What did I do To make you not like me In my law What did I do to you That you would go and chase after other gods And you would ignore your relationship with me And the Lord says you know You've got no case against me Because the Lord had only done good To the nation of Israel He He loved the nation of Israel and so the nation's rebellion didn't make any sense. I mean, I look at the United States of America today and how we've turned our backs on God and, and, and really almost come to the point as a nation where we hate God, where we hate the Lord. And, and I'm sure the Lord asked, what did I do to deserve this? I mean, all I did was bless this nation. All I did was die on a cross for the people of this nation. What, what did I do to deserve this? I think he asks us sometimes. When we get weary of the Lord, when we get weary of praying, when we get weary of Bible study, when we get weary of going to church, when we get weary of obeying the Lord, when we get weary of submitting to his Lordship, he says, you know, what did I do to you to deserve this kind of attitude? You know, I think it's a really good exercise sometimes to, to stop and take inventory of the good things that the Lord has done for us. I mean, that's a good exercise to do every single day, to be thankful for the great things that God has done for us. And, and uh, he'd done all these wonderful things for the Israelites, and now he's going he's gonna to rehearse what he's done. And really, the things he's going he's gonna to talk about here... Are just an allegory of what he's done for all of us. I mean, what he did for the Israelites as a physical nation, he does for us spiritually in salvation. So, so look at what he says in verse number four. He says, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. You were a slave in Egypt, just like we were slaves in the world before the Lord redeemed us. We were in bondage to the devil and to the things of this world and And the Lord says, you know, what have I done? You know, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I sent before you Moses and Ariam and Miriam. I gave you these powerful leaders filled with the spirit of God doing miracles in your sight. And I did all of this for you to deliver you out of bondage. And, and, uh, That's the same thing that you could say about us. I mean, we were all slaves. Egypt is a type of the world in the Bible, and we were slaves to the world. We were slaves to the devil. And God gave us a pretty good leader to lead us out of bondage, didn't he? He gave us a leader who died on the cross for us to lead us out of bondage and, and, and died, on, died for us so that he could give us his righteousness and deliver us from the bondage that we were in. O oh, my people, verse number five, remember now what Balak, the king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from the Acacia grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. How you'll go back and rehearse that story in your mind, is what the Lord's saying here. That, that you would know. Uh, My goodness towards you Stop and think about that story What was that story I'm not going to go through the whole story We've gone over it several times Uh, But but, uh, What happened there Balaam Was hired by Balak To go out and curse The nation of Israel Uh, And uh, Balak was the king of Moab And What did God do he turned his curses into what? Into blessings. And there's a spiritual picture there of what God does for all his children. I mean, that wasn't the only time that God had turned the curses of foreign leaders into blessings for the nation of Israel. He had done that on several occasions. That was just a picture of what he had been doing for them as a nation and what he had been doing them for them as individuals. It's what he does for us as individuals he turns our curses the curses of others into blessings he turns what we seem we see as curses into blessings he takes the tough things in life and he turns them into blessings he always does that that's why we can say with confidence Like Paul said in Romans chapter 8 that all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose because God takes the tough things in life and He turns them into blessings. Everything that happens to us is filtered through the loving hand of God and it's going to be turned into a blessing. And so, not only does He Take our curses and turn them into blessings. He takes the greatest curse, and that's the curse of sin. And he takes away that curse by hanging on a tree for us. Cursed is him who hangs on the tree, the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy. Christ was cursed for us so that we could have salvation. And that's the only way we could have salvation. That's the only way we could enter into a relationship with a holy God. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, what. What, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? I mean, the Israelites were still going through the rituals of their sacrificial system. But that was a heart thing more than it was, God wasn't interested so much in these burnt offerings as he was with a, with a heart that was circumcised. And the Israelites never circumcised their heart. They never saw this as a spiritual thing. They never truly turned to the Lord and turned away from their sin. And and so he's kind of rebuking them for all of these offerings that they were making because they're, they're come back to he when he says, "What have I done for you?" They said, "Well, look what we've done for you. I mean, we've given you all of these offerings and all of these sacrifices." And and uh, the Lord says. With what shall I, how can you come before the Lord? How can you bow yourself before a high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With the calves of a year old? Will the, will the Lord be pleased with a thousand of rams? 10,000 rivers of oil? In other words, you can give me all your oil. Oil was a precious commodity to the Israelites. He says, you can give me rivers of oil. You, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. What's the answer to that? That that won't help you. I mean, if your heart's right, it'll help you. But if your heart's not right, it won't help you at all. God is holy. And you cannot come into the presence of God until you're made holy. And all the burnt offerings in the world don't make anyone holy all the goods of this world, rivers of all You can give it all. You can give everything you can to the Lord. Every, I mean, everything you own to the Lord. You can be the richest man in the world and get every, Donald Trump can give everything he owns to the Lord and that won't make him righteous enough to stand in the presence of God. I mean, even if you give your firstborn child, if I was to offer up Nathan He's not my firstborn child. He's my, my lastborn, my baby. If I was to offer my little baby up, those of you listening on the, uh, on the tape, my baby's a 220-pound, six-foot-three young man, so he, he doesn't like me calling him baby. But uh, even if I were to give him up, if I were to give him up, that still would not make me righteous, Before the Lord. The only way we're made righteous is by God's grace. And God saying to the Israelites, I did that for you. When I gave you the sacrificial system, those burnt offerings and things that you were doing only pointed to the the coming sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's the greatest gift of all. I mean... That's what they were to see in that sacrificial system, that they were sinners and that they, that they needed a sacrifice for their sin. And, and, and if all of them had killed an, an animal for every one of their sins, there wouldn't have been any animals left on the earth. That's how much we sin. And so God says, you know, I let you into my presence. I entered into a relationship with you based upon a future event, based upon the cross, and, and uh, by even having anything to do with them before the cross, God showed them great mercy. He said, I showed you great mercy to let you into my presence, to make you my people. And I wanted you to live godly, righteous lives the sacrificial system wasn't a ticket to, to, to do anything you wanted to do, any evil you wanted to do. The sacrificial system pointed to my righteousness and I wanted you to live righteously as I am righteous, to be holy as I am holy. And I think this God would say the same thing to us. God doesn't save us just so we can go to heaven. God saves us so we can be holy as he is holy. Now, positionally, when you're saved, you're given the righteousness of God and you're made 100% holy. I mean, you can't get any more holy than Jesus Christ. And when you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, you are holy in God's sight. But that, if you're truly born again and you've truly been given the spirit of God... Then your life should reflect that holiness. And the people of Israel who were going through all these sacrifices still and yet living wickedly, God rebukes them because they weren't reflecting his righteousness. Well, what a, you know, you know. What, what were they to do to reflect his righteousness? And so God's going to show them in verse number eight. And there's two extreme interpretations of verse number eight. Let me read it first, and I'll tell you about the interpretations. This is one of the refrigerator magnet verses, a very popular verse. Uh, Out of Micah, you know, you you get Micah 5 2 about Bethlehem, and then you get this verse right here. And I'm sure you've heard it before. If you haven't, you'll hear it now. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Watch this. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. With your God. Somebody said, What does it mean to be a Christian? What do I got to do in order to be a Christian? Here it is, right here. This is what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And as I said, there's two extreme interpretations of this verse, and we don't want to be on the extreme, but let me make you aware of the extreme. One of the extremes is if I do these three things, then I can ascend to heaven. What did Jesus say about ascending to heaven? No man ascendeth to heaven but the Son of Man who came down from heaven. And the only way we can ascend to heaven is on Jacob's ladder on the back of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we can ascend to heaven. But, But that's one extreme that, you know, it's kind of like the Sermon on the Mount. If I keep the Sermon on the Mount or if I keep the law, I can go to heaven. You can't go to heaven by doing these three things. That won't get you there. You won't go to hell if you don't do these three things. Not necessarily. If you don't do these three things and you don't get saved, you're going to go to hell. The other extreme is that this is Old Testament. This is just an Old Testament precept. New Testament, we're under grace. We're not, you know, this really doesn't apply to us. No, this applies to us very much for the reason that I mentioned earlier. Because God wants us to be holy as he is holy. And he shows us how right here. To do justly. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. What does, it, what does he mean to do To do justly? What does he mean by to do justly? Well, that means you treat others right. You do, it's a golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I don't care who they are, whether they're, they're rich or they're poor or they're black or they're white or they're male or they're female. We're to treat them fairly. We're to treat them justly. We're to treat them as we want to be treated. What does it mean to love mercy? What does it mean to love mercy? It means that we love our enemies. We're merciful to our enemies. That we forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. Boy, that's a tall order in the Bible, isn't it? That's in the Sermon on the Mount. We're to forgive others as Christ has forgiven. You know how much He's forgiven me? A bunch, an infinite amount. And I'm to forgive others. That means I'm to continue and always forgive others. And then what's it mean to walk humbly with your God? It means that you make God, God. That's all it means. You give him the throne to your soul. You put him on the throne. You take yourself off the throne. And to walk humbly, you respect the fact that, that, that he's God and you're not God. Now that seems pretty simple Three little things do justly, show mercy, walk humbly with your God. But you can't do that. Now, here's where we go in the middle. I mean, this is not Old Testament. It's what we're supposed to do as Christians, it's what we're supposed to do as godly people. But but it's not a law either. You can't do this in order to be, this isn't what you do in order to be holy. You do this because you are holy, because you've been made holy. As Christians, we can do these three things because we have the Spirit of God living in us. It's by the power of the Spirit that I can love my enemies. It's by the power of the Spirit that I can do unto others as I want others to do unto me. It's by the power of the Spirit that I see God and I recognize God and I'm in a relationship with God and I can walk humbly before God. When you see God with your spiritual eyes, You will walk humbly before God. When you see God in your life and you see all the good things that He intends for you and all the promises that He's made regarding you, then you're going to want Him to have control of your life. But you can't see that unless you've been born again. The Israelites were going through the sacrificial system and doing all these things, but they couldn't, they didn't really, they weren't seeing God. They weren't hearing God. Micah was hearing him, and he was telling them about what God's heart was, but they weren't hearing it. And so they weren't walking humbly. They weren't treating their neighbors justly. They were hating their enemies. They were merciless in their dealings with other people. And and so that should be, you want to tell how you can use that passage. You kind of determine where you are in your Christian walk. You're treating people fairly if you're, if you're merciful to your enemies. If you pray for your enemies. If you forgive your enemies. And you walk humbly with your God, then you're, you're doing well. And it's pretty simple. You know, we turn it into, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't fool around. Well, you know, fooling around is not a good thing. And drinking isn't maybe too much is not a good thing. But, but that's not what it's about. Look at, that, look at these three things. Walk humbly with your God. Do justly. Show mercy. That's why you have to be born again. The life of God has to be infused in us in order us to do these things. Now, the Lord goes back to the judgment. Verse number nine. He says, the Lord's voice cries to the city. Wisdom shall see your name. This is kind of a difficult passage to, to interpretate. Hear the rod. What he's saying here, the wise will see the Lord. Or hear the Lord when he says, hear the rod. What's the rod for? Punishment. The wise will see that the punishment of Israel is coming. Who appointed it? God appointed it. They'll know that the judgment was appointed by God. You know, unwise people, when they see things happen in a nation, they say, well, that's just... You know, global warming, or that's the terrorist, or that's this. A wise person who knows the Lord and knows the condition of their nation, when they see something terrible happen to their nation, they know that that terrible thing was appointed by God. That it is the rod of God on that nation. The wise see that. That's what he's saying right there. And then, verse number 10 Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? And the short measure that is, watch this, is an abomination. An abomination. In other words, cheating in business is an abomination to the Lord. Shall I count pure those with wicked scales as cheating in business and with the bag of deceitful weights? In other words, you've stored up treasures by means of your wickedness. At the expense of others, by cheating and lying. And that's an abomination to the Lord. You know, as evangelicals, we like to point out that homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord. But so is gossip. And so is cheating in business. And so is lying. All those things are an abomination to the Lord. Verse number 12, for her rich men are full of violence. Her inhabitants have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. He names two sins here that marked the nation of Israel, marked the Israeli society. What, what were the two sins? They were full of violence and you couldn't find the truth anywhere. They were a bunch of liars. You couldn't believe a word they said. Those are the same two sins that marked the society that Noah lived in when that society was totally destroyed. They're the same sins I sad to say that mark our society today. People are liars, and who's the father of lies? The devil. So that's a strong indication that a nation has become evil when every when the entire society is just made up of lies. I mean, it is hard to find the truth. You know, the big term right now is fake news. There's always, and this the, those liberal, I hate to use the word liberal because some of the conservative papers are just as bad, but, but, uh, but you can't find, it's so hard to find the truth anymore. You can't find it from the politicians. You can't find it uh, in, uh, in the schools. Uh, it's difficult to find the truth just about anywhere in the church. We're going to talk Sunday about the apostate church, the day of the great apostasy, and I believe we're close. If we're not there, and it's hard to find the truth. Where's the truth? It's in this word. It's in this word. And you look at our society today, and we're not much different from the Israeli society. We're not much different from the from Noah's society. And at some point, when that's going to happen, I don't know, at some point, God will judge the society that goes that route. All societies are judged in the end because all societies are made up of men, and men are liars, and men are violent. And so only the nation where, you, where everybody's saved, you will know, you escape judgment, and that's the church, the true church, and that nation's about to be pulled out of here then all the nations will be judged in the great tribulation. Therefore, I will also make you sick by striking you. He's talking about the punishment they're going to get. Because of your wickedness, because of your lying, because of your violence, I will make you sick by striking you. I'll bring diseases upon you, plagues upon you, and by, and, and by making you desolate because of your sins. I mean, you're going to, I'm going to strip away your health and your riches And look down at verse number 14. He says, you shall eat but not be satisfied. I mean, you're going to eat, but you're not eating the things you used to eat. You're going to be almost starving. You're going to eat about anything you can in order to survive. Hunger shall be in your midst. You shall carry some away to what you might think is safety, but you shall not save them. And what you do to rescue, I will give what You do rescue, I will give over to the sword. In other words, you're wasting your time rescuing anybody because I'm going to find everybody that I want to destroy and I'm going to destroy them. This is coming from God. You shall sow but not reap. You shall tread the olives but not anoint yourself with the oil. You shall make sweet wine but not drink the rind. In other words, your crops are going to be trodden down by enemy armies and what's left of your crops are going to be eaten by your enemies, not by you. You're growing it for them. For the statues, verse number 16, for the statue, this is an interesting verse here and we'll finish here. For the statues of Omri are kept, not the statues of the Lord, the statues of Omri. Omri was a godless, wicked king of the northern kingdom. All the works of Ahab's house are done. What was Ahab's big sin? Idolatry. He led the nation into all sorts of pagan practices. And so he's saying you're following in the footsteps of Omri and you're following in the footsteps of Ahab as you walk in their counsels. Instead of following my counsel, you're following their counsel that I may make you a desolation because of this. And then watch what he says. And your inhabitants say hissing. You're going to be a byword in that land. You're going to be a curse word in that land. The Jew still is, by the way. Therefore, you shall, you shall bear the reproach of my people. And here I think he's talking to Omri and to Ahab, who have already died and gone on to Hades. In other words, you're partially at fault for, what, for the state of the nation of Israel in the day that I judge them. I mean those were wicked kings who did some really wicked things who really led the nation astray and the nation never got back to where it was supposed to be. You know we talked a little bit about hell on Sunday and one of the things I didn't get into because we were limited in time is the fact that there are degrees of punishment in hell And, and what God is saying right here that to Omri and to Ahab and to people like Omri and Ahab to the leaders of Israel you've led the people now they're, they have culpability and responsibility for what they've done but you led them along this wicked path and because you led them along this wicked path you shall bear the reproach of my people and instead of in that day they thought of Ahab and Omri as heroes they thought of Jeroboam as a hero but they were wicked kings. That bothers me a lot when I see some of our past leaders who are just blatantly wicked and antichrist, and people love them. And, and, but those people, there's a, they have a responsibility. When they lead a nation down a wicked road, then they're going to bear the reproach of those people at some point. They're going to be responsible for the reproach of those people. And i got to tell you, we're responsible when we lead other people down a wicked path. When we don't set the kind of example we're supposed to set and we don't do justly and walk humbly with our God and show mercy, then we're doing evil and doing wicked. And we we bear to reproach to some degree for the cases where we've done evil and caused others to do evil. I don't know about you, but in my life I I've, I've got some responsibility there. I was in the bar and restaurant business, really the bar business most part for a long time. And I contributed to a a lot of a lot of bad things. And to I if I the people that I caused to stumble I'm responsible for that. That's why, again, I thank God for that cross because that cross has taken away all of my culpability for those times where I've led people astray, where I haven't been the kind of father I should have been or hadn't been the kind of leader I should have been. I haven't set the the kind of example I should have set. Thank goodness for the cross. Thank goodness that all my sins... Have been cast as far as the east is from the west but Omri didn't know the Lord Ahab didn't know the Lord and they were they led a nation down a terrible terrible path of evil and God saying one day you're gonna you're gonna pay for that they were already paying for it at that point I hope I never see Hades but just the little picture of it we get in the Bible of the underworld I'm glad I, I'm glad I'm not going there Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace for all of us. We thank you. Let's go to the word in prayer. Father, we just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Just just how much mercy you've shown us. Because all of us, Lord, we have the heart of Omri. We have the heart of Ahab. We have the heart of these wicked Israelites. And Lord, only by your grace has our heart been changed. Only by your mercy. Lord, who are we to ever get weary of you? Weary of our Savior. Weary of your word. Weary of... Church, weary of these great privileges that we have to be close to you. Lord, help us to be the kind of people who, who are holy as you are holy. People who do justly, who show mercy, and who walk humbly with you. We can only do that by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of Jesus Christ. I ask for that grace for all of us in His name. Amen.